You know, most black athletes that make it and are successful in life usually uh, have had a difficult childhood growing up coming from a rough background, especially NBA ball players. Now, a lot of them started off making money on the side from local drug dealers who used to bet on games and put neighborhood teams together to go against other neighborhoods, etc. And there were a lot of NBA stars who started on the poor playground courts and brought that mentality to the NBA. Now, over the years, right, the NBA is known for bringing in players with the street mentality. Let's take a look at some of them NBA players who were considered thugs by the media. Now, you had the late 80s and the early 90s Detroit Pistons team who were known as the Bad Boys. Dennis Rodman, who was also on that team, was also in the headlines for his antics throughout his whole career. Um, Dennis was a wild <laughs> Dennis was a wild boy. You had one of my favorite players of all time, Allen Iverson, who changed the game with his fashion. And because I remember when he refused to wear a suit to the games, he rocked the braids, the tattoos. And to me, AI really brought that hip hop element to the game. Another player is Gilbert Arenas, who pulled a gun out on one of his teammates in the locker room over some money or something. You know, you got Charles Barkley. He was a wild boy, always in trouble throughout his whole career. Sprewell, Latrell Sprewell, he choked he choked his coach PJ Carlissimo that one time after he yelled at him in practice. Sprewell punched him too. You got Ron Artest, better known as Metal World Peace, who got in that big brawl with some fans in the crowd. You know, he's from QB, Queensbridge Projects. He grew up with Nas and Mob Deep and all of them. And the list goes on. But one guy was considered the NBA's first ever bad boy. And his name is Reggie Harding, the real original Detroit Pistons bad boy. He was a part-time basketball player and a full-time gangster, they say. They also say he was one of the only players that could stop Will Chamberlain and Bill Russell during that time because there wasn't too many big men out during that time. He had the potential to be one of the greatest basketball centers of all time if it wasn't for his street background and all the trouble he had got into. Let's get right into the story, man. I ain't gonna waste no time. Now, Reggie Harding was born May 4th, 1942 in Detroit, Michigan. Now, his mother named Lily Mae Thomas was a young teenager when she had him. But her parents made her put him up for adoption because she didn't marry Reggie's father. And that's when a couple from the Lower East Side of Detroit who knew his mother and the family ended up taking him as an infant and became his foster parents. Now, growing up with his foster parents, people in the neighborhood gave him the nickname Baby Huey because he was always sucking his thumb in which he continued to do that when he became a grown man. Around the age of 10 years old, he fell in love with the game of basketball. Plus, he felt that that was the only way 
of making it out the hood. Now, one of his neighbors, a guy named Bill Irvin, took a liking to him and became his mentor and would help uh, Reggie with his basketball skills and try to keep him focused on his goals of becoming a ball player. And over the years, he started growing like crazy. Look, by the time he was in middle school, Reggie was 6'5 in height. Then by the time he got into uh, high school at Eastern High, his height jumped up to 6'10, then to 7 feet. And he was dominating every team that they went against. Now, they say uh, he was also the first 7-foot player in a public school. But anyway, now, Reggie, right, amazing on the court, crazy on the court. He took the school to three state championships and everything. Now, check the stats, right? His sophomore year, he averaged 20 points, 15 rebounds, and six blocks per game when they won that state championship that year. His junior year, he averaged 27.7 points, 22 rebounds, 9.1 assists per game winning that state championship that year and doing numbers like that only enhances popularity with sports writers the newspapers and the magazines and his name was becoming worldwide as one of the best high school basketball players in the nation but see during that time right he was still a young kid he was still a wild young kid from the streets only 17 years old and he was always getting into a lot of trouble, like always bullying kids that were smaller than him, fighting every day, trying to hurt people, using his size to intimidate them. And like I said, he was seven foot tall plus. And then he started hanging out with a bad crowd, which was all the street kids on the corner. And his foster parents took notice of that and took notice of his behavior and was concerned. So they really wanted to teach him a lesson. They was concerned too, but they really wanted to teach him a lesson. So what they did was, I guess to punish him, they sent him to a farm in Cadillac, Michigan to pick cherries, to pick cherries. And he hated that because first of all, he was the only black kid there and the white people made fun of him because of his skin color and how tall he was. <laughs> he was used to doing the bullying and on that farm, they was bullying him. So <laughs> Reggie, he couldn't take it. So he ended up stealing the farmer's truck and drove back to Detroit and ended up turning himself in later on and got probation for stealing the farmer's truck. And when that had happened, that's when he started getting all the negative press in the newspaper with reports about his behavior, all the burglaries he had done. They say he was involved in trafficking drugs using drugs and all types of bad stuff. But, you know, he was so popular in the city, people would just look the other way and they still supported him. Now, by the time he got to his senior year in high school, he started getting into more trouble. He was arrested and charged with statutory rape of a 15-year-old girl, but was eventually acquitted after saying that it was consensual. But, you know, the newspapers... Once they heard that, they was calling him a serial rapist and still putting out a lot of bad stuff in the press about him. And also, the newspaper revealed he was adopted as a child. And that's how he found out 
he was adopted, which made him angry. And he confronted his foster parents and demanded that they tell him who his real parents were, but they still didn't tell him. But then check this though, right? Months later, Reggie was accused of raping legendary soul singer Florence Ballard of the Supremes. Now, the story goes during that time, right? Florence Ballard, she was part of the Prime Mets. That's when the uh, Primes and the Prime Mets was out. They had like four members. They weren't the Supremes yet. And Florence Ballard had went to a local party with her brother. And somehow they ended up losing each other in the mix. So she decided to walk home by herself. And that's when Reggie pulled up in a car and asked her if she needed a ride home because they knew each other. They both knew each other. Both of them was popular in the school and the whole neighborhood knew them. So after she accepted the offer Reggie gave her, he ended up taking her to an empty lot and raping her at knife point. And that really messed Flo up, leaving her with depression and everything. And she didn't even want to sing anymore. And her family didn't even press charges. Mary Wilson of the Supremes confirmed the incident in her book. Y'all can check out the Florence Ballard story on my channel for more on her life. And rest in peace to Florence Ballard and Mary Wilson. Now, after that, Reggie did finish his high school basketball senior season strong, averaging 31 points, 25 rebounds, 10 blocks, and 8 assists a game, making him the best player in the nation and earning first-team All-City honors at the time. Wow, 31, yo, almost a quadruple double the whole season. Unbelievable. This, like, this cat was crazy. And he did graduate, and every college in the world wanted him, over 135 college offers to be exact. But see, here's the problem, though. Here's the problem. He could barely read. He could barely read because the teachers in the school would just give him passing grades because he was the star basketball player. They just passed him along. And look, in high school, he was pretty much, Reggie in high school pretty much was spoiled, man. Got away with everything. Anything he wanted to do, everything he wanted, he did it. So what he did after he graduated high school is attend a college prep school in Nashville to help get his grades up so he could go to college. And right after that, he did have a high school sweetheart named Nadine. Now, she ended up becoming pregnant and Reggie married her while he was at that college prep school. But then things really started going good for Reggie when in the 1962 NBA draft, he ended up being selected by the Detroit Pistons in the fourth round as the 29th pick overall, making him the first player drafted into the NBA without having to play in college. Wow. He's the first player. That's history right there, y'all. Before Moses Malone, Sean Kemp, Kevin Garnett, Kobe, LeBron, all of them, Reggie Harding was the first player to be drafted into the NBA straight out of high school. Now, the Detroit Pistons heard about all the negative stuff in the newspapers about him, but they felt they could change him and make him their project because he was a hometown kid. But check this though, right? The first year he couldn't play because 
During that time, the NBA had a rule that stated a player could be drafted if they did not plan to enter college, but needed to have been out of school for a full year. And at that time, he went to that Nashville uh, Christian Institute prep school. That was that prep school. So instead, what Reggie did, he ended up playing for the Midwest Professional Basketball League, basically a semi-pro basketball league with the uh, Toledo Tartans and the Cooks Highland Oilers during that season. And I think he played a little bit with the Harlem Globetrotters too that year. Now, after that, in 1963, he entered the NBA draft again, and the Detroit Pistons selected him again. And this time was in the sixth round as the 48th overall pick. Now we're rookie in the NBA right from the start. Reggie was causing trouble and being a problem for the team. He didn't even look. He didn't even join the team until late in the year because they suspended him because he had caught a gun charge. Because see, look, he's in Detroit, his hometown. You know, all his family and friends were always around, which led to the clubs, the drugs, crime, guns, alcohol, and him being arrested a lot of times. But look, when he did finally get some playing time for Detroit Pistons, he did make an impact on the court. But it was off the court the team couldn't deal with. <laughs> look, they say Reggie would go to the club straight from the game or practice or came to the game or practice straight from the clubs. They say after the game was over, he wouldn't even take a shower or nothing. He just grab a towel, wipe the sweat off his face, spin the barrel on his gun and walk right out. He started carrying guns in his gym bag and will pull them out and point them at his teammates in the locker room. Now, one crazy story is he shot at his teammate, Terry Dissinger's feet to make him dance. And now see, doing all that right, it made a lot of his teammates not want to hang around him. He was a wild boy. And look, everybody on the team would just go and hang out together after the games. And Reggie would hear them talking about him because they ain't want him around him. They'd be talking about him and everything behind his back. So that's why he would just go hang out with his friends in the streets. But you know, some of his close friends say Reggie would cry, saying a lot of the players thought they were better than him because they went to college and he didn't, which made him feel like he didn't belong there. Also around that time, he finally ended up meeting his real mother, Lily Mae, because what he didn't know was throughout his whole basketball career, she would go to all of his games to show support since the first time he started playing basketball. She just never revealed herself. And she finally revealed herself to uh, Reggie's wife at first after a game. And she begged Reggie's wife not to tell him who she was, but she told him anyway. And her and Reggie reconnected, and which he was very happy about. They got back connected. Now with his real mother back in his life, Reggie still couldn't stay out of trouble though the year after that for that season he came back he tried to do right he tried to do right for the Detroit Pistons but still kept getting in trouble man he was charged with assault and battery against a Detroit police officer over a ticket 
he was charged with pulling out a gun on a club bouncer in which those charges were later dropped after the lawyer convinced the courts it was actually a lighter he pulled out that looked like a gun and the following year the NBA suspended him for the entire season for all of his run-ins with the law and his connections to the street life basically man the NBA said they said they suspended him for conduct detrimental to professional basketball hmm that's what they said and he was also fined $2,000 by the Detroit Pistons which was the highest fine in professional basketball history at the time for not showing up to the games he was missing team flights not coming to practice and he said he was just in the streets he just couldn't leave the street life alone hanging on the corners look now suspended <laughs> that's when he went back to the neighborhood hanging out with the killers and the drug dealers and he ended up getting hooked on heroin on that heroin which was a hundred dollar day habit for him and during that time Detroit had one of the biggest drug dealers at that time out there a man named Eddie Fatman Jackson and his name ring bells in the streets like Nicky Barnes Frank Matthews and Frank Lucas Cause see back then if you was a star back then like all of the motown artists they was all getting all that dope free even the author uh donald goings said that in his book and the dealers would give reggie heroin for free because of who he was but see by that time the detroit pistons had had enough of reggie and they ended up trading him to the chicago bulls for a third round draft pick now even though the Chicago Bulls knew about his wild behavior, they still took a chance on him because they needed a center. They needed a center bad because they was losing games like crazy at that time. They was like 1-15. So when he got to the Bulls, right, he still continued to get in trouble and cause problems for that team now. Like, they would put him in the game, right, and he'd end up punching somebody. He was always having problems with his teammates. One incident, he played one-on-one -on -one with his teammate named uh, Flynn Robinson. And when Flynn Robinson would beat him, Reggie would threaten to pistol whip him with the gun. Plus, him and Flynn Robinson were roommates. And another incident was on one night, Flynn woke up. Flynn had woke up, turned on the light, and saw Reggie sitting there pointing a gun at him. <laughs> wow. This dude was off the chain, man. Crazy. Plus, during that time, Reggie's marriage to his high school sweetheart, Nadine, was falling apart. And she was trying to divorce him because he wasn't treating her right. And to be honest, that really hurt him. That hurt him right there. The thought of him losing his family. Now, the final straw with the Chicago Bulls came when he lied, claiming his daughter had passed and told him he needed some days off for his funeral. And the team didn't hear from him for almost two weeks. So that's when they just decided just to let him go from the team, man. I mean, they granted him the days for the funeral, even though he lied saying his daughter had died and everything. They was just tired, though. Chicago Bulls were just tired of the headaches he was causing them. So they let him go after only 14 games with them. Now with no team and no money, 
he ended up back in the hood, which led to more trouble and him doing some jail time again. After getting out of jail, the Indiana Pacers ended up signing him to a contract for a salary of $300 per day. And during that time, they were an ABA team. If y'all remember the ABA, it was the NBA and the ABA. Now, the Indiana Pacers knew he was a trouble guy. They done heard about all the rumors, him carrying guns in his gym bag, all the bad stuff, but they didn't care. They was desperate. They needed a center bad. So they gave him a chance and tried to help him, but he caused problems there too. Even though he was averaging a double-double a game, about 13 points, 13 rebounds per game, but he still was doing the same thing he did with the Detroit Pistons and the Chicago Bulls, like not showing up to practice, he was missing games, not following the dress code, etc. But it was two incidents that happened that made the Indiana Pacers just drop him from the team. One was <laughs> he put a gun to his teammate Jimmy Rail head because he heard he was a racist. And the other incident was when during a television interview, Reggie had threatened to shoot the Indiana Pacers general manager, Mike Storin, for not putting him in the game. Wow. Yeah, Reggie, Reggie off the chain. Now, after that, life just started going down for Reggie. And by this time, he was really hooked on heroin. Now a drug addict with no money, he started robbing stores in his neighborhood. Now, they say he once robbed the same gas station in his neighborhood three times. And the crazy part is everybody knew him. The clerk knew who he was because of his height and his size. Even though he still tried to put a, a stocking cap over his face, they knew who he was. And then he got arrested for a concealed weapon. Then he was arrested after escaping from the police who was holding him for a narcotics withdrawals. He ended up getting shot in both his legs. He just going through a whole bunch of stuff. He was going downhill. Then finally, in 1969, he was sentenced to two and a half years in prison for a concealed weapons charge and violating his probation. Now, after that, right, in 1971, he got out of prison and wanted to change his life and try to get back into the NBA because he still was young. And him and his wife had gotten back together. He had left the drugs alone. He started going to church twice a week. He had a factory job lined up. He was getting ready to start. He was getting up every morning, working out, running, jogging, trying to get in shape. Uh, he was trying to try back out for the basketball teams. I mean, he was focused on his family and career during that time when he got out. But he got hit with some bad news when his real mother, Lily Mae, who he just recently had got back connected with during his Detroit Piston days, was murdered. His mom ended up being murdered by her boyfriend after a bad argument. And Reggie took her death very hard, very hard. And at her funeral, he was heartbroken. And he stood over her casket for about 15 minutes. And that's when he started telling the funeral director about how he wanted 
his funeral to be, saying when he dies, he want two floral arrangements. The first request was a Cadillac, and the second request was a basketball backboard. Now, when he explained that to the funeral director at his mother's funeral, everybody there thought he was drunk or something. But I don't know, but some people say he, he must have knew he was about to die or something. Because on September 1st, 1972, Reggie Harding was shot and killed in his hometown of Detroit just two weeks after his mother was murdered. Wow. Two weeks after his mother was murdered. Now, the story goes, for the last couple of months, Reggie was hanging out with a well-known street guy named Carl Scott, who had just gotten out of prison himself. And they became real tight, almost like brothers or best friends to the point that Reggie, Reggie even took him to church with him and everything. They was real close. Now, one day they were hanging out on the street corner with a bunch of other friends and they was talking to a woman when all of a sudden Carl Scott just slapped Reggie for no reason. Even the other people that was there couldn't figure out why Carl slapped Reggie. Now, Reggie responded though, asking why did he slap him? And that's when Carl slapped Reggie again. That's when Reggie slapped him back and picked him up off of his feet, holding him over his head. And he was telling him he didn't want to hurt him. Now embarrassed, <laughs> that's when Carl Scott left and Reggie was really upset and hurt that his friend did that to him. He went and sat on the porch and cried, they say. He couldn't figure out why he was why he did that to him. He cried and asked the other friends that was out there, did he do the right thing? And the friends said, yeah, he did the right thing. So, you know, after that, 20 minutes later, Carl Scott came back in a car with some people and he saw Reggie talking to some girls and he pulled out a gun on him. But see, Reggie really didn't think Carl would shoot him because they were good friends. Like I said, he took them to church and everything. They was like brothers. He couldn't understand why all this was going on. But anyway, so but Reggie really just, he just never thought Carl would shoot him because they was friends and he didn't know why he was acting like that. So jokingly, jokingly, Reggie told Carl, if you shoot me, make sure it's in the head because he didn't want to feel the pain. He was joking with Carl. And Carl Scott shot him in the head. And that's when Reggie started yelling at him like, why? Why? Why you shoot me? In disbelief. And guess what? That's when Carl Scott shot him again in the head and fled the scene. And Reggie Harding died the next day at 1.30 p.m. at the hospital. That's crazy, man. Now, many people in the neighborhood believe somebody paid Carl Scott to kill Reggie because on how quickly he got close to Reggie acting like his friend just in a month before. And police, they put out the warning posters, put out an alert for Carl Scott as the murderer. But to this day, 
he was never arrested for the murder. The crazy part is, at the funeral, right, when it was time to lay Reggie to rest, his grave site was too short for his coffin to fit into. So they had to bury him at an angle, like sideways or something. Wow. It's crazy, man. And that year he died in 1972, Detroit was the murder capital. It was a wild, wild west out there. Another crazy fact is, in 1988, his son, Reggie Jr., Reggie's son, was convicted of murder and is serving life without parole right now. That's a shame, man. Now, look, I know I say this about all the documentaries and stories I do on this channel, that they need to do a movie on their life, but this one will be a blockbuster smash hit in the movie theaters, man. Unbelievable story. This was a crazy story, and, and there's still so much information out there's missing on his life, so hopefully the family will do a book or a documentary on him or you know so we can get the real story and you know what man as i was doing my research on this story a lot of articles was trying to clown him i mean they was clowning reggie Harden. they calling him um they call him america's dumbest criminal and a waste of talent and all that because he had he had made it and just threw his career away but also a lot of articles blamed it on the environment he grew up in and him being adopted and all that, it can it can take a toll on a person. What y'all think? Leave a comment. He was 30 years old. R.I.P. Reggie Harding. <laughs>